turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. I think we're getting into the nitty-gritty of uh, the name of the book itself, which is Creating the Quran. Yeah, and what Shoemaker does from the very get-go, he get, first gives the Islamic narrative itself, the standard Islamic narrative or the traditional approach. And to do that, what I like to do is just kind of give an overview of what he's saying, because we have to, we do have to delve into that. Yeah. Obviously, from what the what the traditions say is that it was first written down 632, 634, and then rewritten in 652. Uh, and then this one that was written in 652 became the final exemplar that was then sent to all over the world. And that was the one that we have in our hands today, uh, that there's no other manuscript that that disagrees with it, is what they would say. Now, besides the problem of preservation, we're not going to get into that right now. Let's just talk about that original creation, uh, the original compilation. To do that, I'd like to look at a graph, and we'll put it up on the screen right here, this graph uh, of Sahih Buhari, because you've got to go back to Sahih Buhari, you've got to go to volume 6, and you've got to go to Hadith number 509. So let's put it up on the screen here, and let's look at it, and... Let's see what it's actually saying. Okay, hold, hold back. We don't have that graph. We can totally put it up. And it's, it's, slide it's slide number 22. Sorry, I should have told you this. Slide number 22. 22. Okay. It, it might not be 22. Just... It might be 23 now because I think you put another slide in there. No, I'm seeing it at 22 so far. Maybe I'd no, they, I've I put another slide is on that, this. Is that it to your right? That's it right there, yeah. yeah. And then I'll be going to the next slide after that. And then I'll be going through all these slides. So go for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, ten, eleven slides, one after the other. We'll see how much we can get in ten minutes. No, we can't. We, we can't. Well, we'll have to break this up. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Start again. Sorry. No problem. And now we will reset the timer so it'll be accurate. Um, no, you can just pick up where you were introducing the graph, Jay, and we'll be good to go. Okay. Action. So let's look at the slide here. And if you look here, this is the this is Sahih Bukhari, volume six here in the Arabic. Mm-hmm. The English translation is right next to it. Let's unpack what it's saying. So here you it's at the back. This is around 632, 634. That's the date that the traditions are, are putting it. And they're saying that there was a battle in Yamama up north. Mm-hmm. And many of those died in the Battle of Yamama. And many of those who had memorized the Quran died, 
which means with them, the members, the, the memory of the Quran had gone with them. There was a crisis because what if all the people who had memorized the Quran died? Mm-hmm. There would be no Quran. Remember, the Quran had not been written down yet. So you have Abu Bakr, who is the caliph. He brings Umar in, who will be the next caliph. But he has, they're there in the, whatever room they're in. But they call Zaid ibn Thabit in. Zaid ibn Thabit is the secretary of Muhammad. He was one that would do all the writing for Muhammad. So they call him into the throne room there. And they ask him to write down this Quran that had been revealed between 610 and 632 through the Prophet Muhammad in two different cities in Mecca and Medina, which he does. No, at the first, though, he first says, why I cannot do that which the Prophet had done. So he refuses to begin with. I correct myself That's there. About, according to this tradition, yes. That's what it says here. He yeah. refused to do it. How can I do something which Allah's apostle did not do, he questions. Mm-hmm. They said, nonetheless, you need to do so. So he finally relents. Uh, and he then goes and he collects palm from palm leaves. He collects, collects it from white stones. Uh, and he collects it mainly from men's memory. So he goes all over collecting it from different sources. There is one verse that he couldn't find. That's chapter 9, verse uh, 128 to 20, 129. Until he found it with one man named Abi Kuzaima al-Ansari. Which is interesting. Because remember, for as we know well, know that for uh, in a, for a chronic verse to be authoritative, it has to have at least two witnesses. So here's only one witness, mm-hmm. and then this first recension he then gives once he's compiled it down. He then gives it to Abu Bakr, who gives it to Umar, and then from what tradition tells it, Umar gives it to his daughter Hafsa, Hafsa. who used to be one of the wives of Muhammad. That's right. According to some traditions, she just sticks it under her bed and leaves it there. So that's Hadith. Uh, uh, number uh, 509 from chapter 6. Let's go to the next slide because then the very next page of this uh, hadith is 510. And 510 continues on in Arabic, but let's just summarize what it's saying here in English. Now we have another battle, and this is now 20 years later. So that was 632. Now we're in 652. Mm-hmm. 20 years later, and now Uthman is in power. Uh, Abu Bakr has died. Umar, Umar has, has come to power. He is killed. Assassinated. Exactly. He's assassinated in 644. Uthman, the third caliph, comes to power in 644. We're now in 652. So 20 years after the first recension was given to Hafsa, who leaves it under her bed, they're having a problem way up in Azerbaijan. So this is a second battle. Well, there's been other battles too, but this is another big battle. And so those from Medina, from the Hijaz, they go up to Azerbaijan. And they battle against the Azerbaijanis. They win against them. And then they go to the mosque to celebrate and to pray. As they're praying, they're there with Syrians and Iraqis who come together. Mm-hmm. And there's their praying. They're listening to these guys praying, which are references. and re- These are collections of the Quran in the prayer because the prayer are Quranic verses. And they're noticing that they're not praying the same verses, that these are different, different renditions of the same verses. Well, they start coming to blows. How dare you say this? This is how you're supposed to say it. They start coming to blows. Kudaifa, Udaifa, who is in charge of that contingent, comes back down to Medina. He goes to Uthman. He says, we got a problem. We heard different Qurans being recited up there by the Iraqis and the, and the Syrians, those from uh, what is that then would have been Stesfan, later becomes Baghdad, and also to 
to Damascus. We're hearing different Qurans. We must not be like the Christians and have, who have many, many Bibles. We must have just one Quran. Therefore, you must commission one more, re, one more rendition. So Uthman agrees with him, and he has Zaid ibn Thabit, the same guy that wrote the first one, he has him come up to get that copy that Hafsa had under her bed, bring it back out, and to rewrite the Quran. Now, this is what's interesting. They're to write it. He gives them three people to help them out. And the three people are Azubair, Alas, and Ibn Isham, according to here. These are the three. Who are these three guys? Do you know who they are? I don't know if you know them. These are actually the son-in-laws of Uthman. I mean, you mean the, the, the ones uh, the, who are the members the three that are supposed to help right. Zaid ibn Thabit out are son-in-laws. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no expertise. Their only reason for being there is to keep it in the family. He wants to make sure that this is retained by and his own family members. It's a members. no joke. It is called the Uthmanic Rasm, the Uthmanic Quran. So it's a no joke. It, <laughs> it is kept in the family. And then he says an interesting thing. He says, if you have any disagreement between the four of you, wait a minute, didn't already... Zaid ibn Thabit, write the entire Quran? Isn't it right there in his hand already? How can you have a disagreement? It's already written down. I okay. mean, you would think they would have taken the Hafsa copy and just made copies of it. You think, okay. Yeah. But what does he say? Write it in the Qureshi dialect. Hold on to that. We're going to get to that. But I thought there were seven different ways. Hold on a minute. We're going to get to that. That's all coming up. Yeah. What did he do next? He then took all the other Qurans that disagreed with it and burned them. Hold on, don't say anything yet. We're going to get to that. There's another episode we're going to have to get Critical analyses, right? Burned them, and then he took this final Quran. He took the, after he burned, there it is right there, copies and burned them. And then he took this final Quran that Zaidim put together and sent it to five cities, maybe as many as, many as nine. We know to every province. Can you see there's a lot of problems with here? Now, that's the... I'm just really just reiterating what's in 509 and 510. This is Hadith Collection by Sahih Bukhari. We have a lot of questions that I want to go into next. Amen. This is what we're going to do now. Let's unpack just these two pages. Let's see the problems that exist. Absolutely. And I hope everyone is listening to what uh, you know, Dr. J is sharing with us. Uh, he and I talked about this multiple times. I mean, we have a, a, a whole video series called The Quran Conundrum, where we address things like this and many other ones that are critical assessment of the Quran. Putting this book aside, see, putting this book that we've been analyzing right now, uh, calling Creating the Quran by Stephen Shoemaker, just putting aside, by looking at these hadith uh, or Sahih collections, you can see the problem already. And you can see why Shoemaker also is having uh, really some tension, let's call it, with, uh, you know, basically the standard Islamic narrative as opposed to, for instance, doing a real historical critical analysis of, in this case, the emergence of the Quran. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAinternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Last time we took a closer look at the standard Islamic narrative and specifically 
to Sahih Hadith by Bukhari concerning the two compilation of the Quran. Today we're going to continue with that and we will unpack it even at more in-depth de- in and in more detailed approach. With me here, of course, to do all of this is Dr. J. Smith. Dr. J., uh, thank you as always uh, for doing this. You've talked about this uh, many times in your own uh, uh, channel. We've both talked about it in my own channel. We've done a number of video series when it came to the compilation of the Quran and the problems with that. But right now, because we are setting basically the stage for what Shoemaker is saying, we had to really take people back to where uh, he's coming from in yeah. terms of his critical analysis. So yeah. what, what do you want to say about this? Well, here we've now looked at Volume 6 of Al-Buhari. This is the only reference really that Muslims have on how the Quran was created. Mm-hmm. Everything that they believe are on these two pages. This is the second page of two. We looked at 509 earlier. Now we're looking at 510 here. And we've unpacked what this says. Now, I have a number of questions. Before we get to Shoemaker, I have a number of questions. I have about 10 or 11 questions I want to go. Let's go to question number one and question number two. The first question I have here. If this is so, of what we're seeing in chapter, volume 6, hadith number five, nine, 509, if this is so, that, that uh, this new book, this new revelation by God was coming down to a man named Muhammad who then had this for, what, 30, uh, 22 years that he had this revelation coming to him. First of all, the first question I want to ask is, why would he, God, have chosen as his final revelation, the greatest revelation, the one that supersedes all other revelation, use a language that cannot accommodate it? That's the first question I have it. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you look at the all the earliest manuscripts that you've looked at, and you've seen the Sana, the Ma'il, the Topkapi, the Samarkand, the, the uh, Petropolitanus, the Husseini, all of these manuscripts that we know, the six major manuscripts, which you're going to be talking about later in these episodes, look at them. They don't have any dots and vowels. That's true. Yeah. They don't have any vowelization. They have no dots. So you don't even know what you're reading. You can't read it. And you're an Arab, native Arab speaker. C- certain words become problematic because it's open game now. You can really read it this way or that way. In fact, uh, historically speaking, you look at tafsir and some of the uh, Islamic scholars in the field of tafsir or commentary struggled with how certain words were read. So why would God reveal his greatest revelation to a man whose only re- uh, language could not even accommodate the text, at least wait one or two centuries so that the Arabic would have been sophisticated enough. Remember, Arabic was just being written down. It was just beginning. It was being taken out of Aramaic, and it was it still did not even have its vowelization. It still did. We didn't even know what the letters were. Five letters had to yet be invented, and those really only were introduced and canonized around the 8th century. We're in the beginning of the 7th century. Why would God do this? He already had Hebrew. He had Greek. Why didn't he just use Hebrew and Greek since he already did that with his earlier revelations? So that's the first problem. Now, secondly, why did God choose a man who couldn't read and write? Goodness sakes, if this is such an important revelation, this is the one... This is the one mission that Muhammad was given, right? Well, other Muslims will say, no, he was also given the mission to start the caliphate and to be a model and a paradigm. Okay, I'm willing to go with that. But what really, what was the major thing that Muhammad uh, was chosen to do? He was chosen to be given this revelation. For heaven's sakes, give it to somebody who can at least read and write it. 
Let's go to number three, because number three follows on from that. The next slide. When you look at number three, listen, this guy, if he could, if he was illiterate, and again, I'm just going on what the traditions say, what we've just read in Al-Buhari, he had 22 years to read and write. He already knew Arabic. Listen, I learned Arabic to read and write it in two weeks. That's all it took me to read and write. It doesn't take too long. There are only 28 letters you need to learn. And back then, there were only 14 letters. We've had another, we've had quite a few 16 letters that have been added to it because of the dots and vowels. At that time, there were no dots and vowels. For heaven's sakes, he could have easily learned it. He had 22 years to do so. That would have been a miracle. What more than that? What about Zaid ibn Thabit? Did he not know how to read and write? What do secretaries do? Read and write. Right. That's their job. The fact that he could read and write, the fact that he was a secretary, if that's not what secretaries do, then he's not worthy of his salary. So he had 22 years to write this down. Why didn't he write it down? Then problem number four. Why didn't Abu Bakr, there in 632 to 634, for heaven's sakes, why did he just keep one copy? Why did he make many copies and disperse them to the five to 11 provinces in 635 that Uthman had later on? Remember, we do know that if you look at the provinces, I'll be getting this because I want to look at a map and you'll see these provinces in more detail, but that's for another, another episode. We do know that there are a proliferation of different provinces according to the Islamic tradition, not according to you and me. Most of these provinces did not exist because they there was all desert down there. <laughs> There's not many people who live in desert to make provinces. Nonetheless, if the traditions are correct, why did he make copies immediately so that this could be preserved? Why would he give it to a woman who puts it under her bed and leaves it there for two years, 20 years, excuse me? Why would you even think to do that? Uh, obviously, it was not that important. If you're preserving it, you'd want other people to read it, would you not? Right. Can you now understand why so many other Qurans start proliferating? Because this wasn't made uh, available to those at that time. Let's go to problem number five, or question I have number five. Looking back at chapter 506, uh, uh, hadith number 509, with Abu Bakr's first compilation, Muslims say that uh, thousands of Muslims died at the Battle of Yamama. That's why it had to be preserved. Which is not true. Which is not true. If you look at the traditions, read the traditions itself. 70 it's very cl- 70. 70. So the whole of the Quran was dependent on a handful of people. A handful of people. But the fact that so few people dying caused the crisis proves what we've been saying all along. Memorization doesn't work. And Omar, if, if this tradition is true, obviously, if you want to take it as face value, was in panic mode. He was in panic mode for very good reason. Listen, whenever you write or whenever you make an agreement with somebody, whenever you look and you ask, you know, what what are the uh, you 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 buy a house or you buy a goods and you know that this uh, that these goods are something that that is valuable, what do you do? You write a receipt or you write an mm-hmm. invoice. Why do you write it down? To remember it, and also to keep you honest. That's right. And by the way, didn't uh, a couple of his own scribe, Muhammad scribe, Ibn Masoud and Ubay, write it down? We're going to get to that. That's yeah. something yet to come. Well, what I'm saying, I'm pointing to the people that there Absolutely. are some that actually wrote it down. And by the way, let me ask you this question, uh, Jay. Don't our Muslim friends tell us that the Quran is preserved in memory? 
then how come they're dependent on a handful of people to memorize it for them? Or absolutely. And give it, take it one step further. How do we know what they memorized unless it was written down? So it's a man-made. That's They're right. dependent on people. You would memorize it one way. I would memorize it another way. Someone else, hold on a minute. Now we're getting we have evidence, Jay. We're not going to talk about it right now. We have evidence from the manuscripts that that's the case. This is the kid. That's, yeah. that's right. So obviously, yeah. this is a real problem in 632 to 634. I just want to stick with 632 to 634 yet. In the next episode, we'll go to, uh, we'll go to 652. Let's just stick with that. So here's an enormous number of problems. You've got a revelation in a language that no one could really accommodate it yet. The Arabic was just not sophisticated enough. Either God was not smart or he made a mistake or he was in a hurry. You gave it to a man who couldn't even read or write. That's kind of not the best choice you would want to give to somebody since this is such an important revelation that supposedly improves on the previous revelations and corrects the previous revelation. For heaven's sakes, give it to someone that could actually read and write it and put it down. He was given 22 years to do so. He didn't do that in 22 years. He had a, a secretary named Zaidi bin Thabit, who was a secretary. For heaven's sake, give him the job to write it down. And then when it finally got written down by the time of Abu Bakr wrote it down, which Zaidi bin Thabit didn't want to do to begin with, when he finally got him to write it down, he just gives it to his the, one of the wives of Muhammad. She sticks it on her bed and leaves it there for 20 years. Right, right. Copies were not made. Can you see? This is an enormous amount of problems. And then, of course, those that died, only 70 of them, if that caused such a crisis, you can see this is the reason why you cannot memorize something yeah. because you need to have it written down so you know what it is you're memorizing. And we want to, by the way, wrap it up right now. I don't mind us continuing after this, but here's another uh, you know, dagger that I'm going to throw out there. It seemed like, again, if we take this standard Islamic narrative at face value— Uthman apparently did not trust the process that was done 20 years earlier. Otherwise, why would he compile again another committee to go and collect the Quran? He must have thought that there is part of the Quran that we're missing. Hold on a minute. We're getting to that. That's the next episode. Okay. So what I want to do now is get into even more damaging questions. Because now, 20 years later... There's even more problems, but that's for the next episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this discussion because these are critical questions. That's what critical research is all about, asking questions. By the way, we are not inventing these kind of uh, you know stories. They came from Islam's own primary sources, in this case, hadith sahih, authentic. So we have every right to ask questions then about those hadith, given that it was compiled 240 years after allegedly the start of Islam and the death of the Prophet of Islam. And given that there are two accounts that appears to be contradicting each other, and at least uh, the intellectual mind, each, each one of you has that uh, ability, requires you to ask these critical questions. That's what investigative work is all about. Thank you, dear brother. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, God bless.